Coming up on the Assassins Podcast, we've got Ben Emmerich, CEO and co-founder of Tusk, joining the show to talk about the future of the shipping business, disrupting FedEx and UPS with a better way to ship, the process that Ben goes through to sell and establish Tusk's first network of partners, diagnosing customer pain by checking the labels on the purchases that we make every day. And we round it out with Ben's hustle selling dry ice and his approach to constructing monopolies. This is a full episode. Ben is a dear friend and a good dude. All right, without further ado, special delivery. Let's get into the show, Assassins. Yep. Assassin's state of mind. Hustle, grind. See them dollar signs. Assassin's state of mind. Assassin's state of mind. Hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line. Assassin's state of mind. Hustle, grind. See them dollar signs. Assassin's state of mind. Assassin's state of mind. Hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line. Assassin's state of mind. They say money over everything. Everything. Gation the game. Shopping for a wedding ring, salary, startups, crypto, stock exchange. Appreciate every penny. Pocket change. One phone call and your life can change. What is going on, everybody? Happy Friday. It's your host, Justin Vandehey, here at the Assassin's Podcast, where every week we have founders on the show talking about their journeys, taking their ventures from zero to one. This week on the podcast, we've got a dear friend of mine. He is the co-founder and CEO of Tusk, a platform that provides easy access to pre-negotiated rates from top-tier regional carriers in the shipping game. He's also one hell of a Monopoly player. (laughs) (laughs) Ben Emmerich, welcome to the Assassin's Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. All right, so let's talk about let's talk about your background a little bit. We uh we obviously got a couple of mutual ties, a couple of mutual friends, Wisconsin roots, but love to hear about just general career background and then I'd love to talk about Tusk and the journey behind founding the company. Yeah, so Wisconsin born and bred, grew up in a little town outside of Madison, went to UW Madison for school, got a got a Latin and a history degree, thinking that I was going I didn't to know be that. Yeah, wow, I thought cool. I was going to be a Roman military historian. Wow. And the, listen, the moral of this story is always listen to your dad because <laughs> this summer before my junior year, my dad is like, hey, uh, maybe you should get like a business certificate just in case, just in case. <laughs> and I was like, dad, no way, man. I'm going to be like Indiana Jones, you know, like killing Nazis, getting the babes, being a professor. Yep, and, I see it. I see it. Yeah, and uh, my senior year in the midst of writing my senior honors thesis where I hadn't left like the Latin reading room in Memorial library for like four months. I was like, so thankful I had a business certificate. (laughs) 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 It's like, I don't want to do this. So yeah, I I got very lucky and was actually hired out of college to be like a frontline customer support agent at Google. So moved out to California in 2008. I was definitely a pre-recession hire. Like, uh, they, they, I snuck in before they knew what they got, but yeah, I spent 10 years at Google doing a variety of things, but mostly business development work within Google shopping. And then I went to Shippo for four years where I led the carrier partnerships team. So managing relationships with the FedExes, the UPSs, the postals of the world. 
and then left in 2021 to start what became Tusk. And Tusk was always an idea that I had had in my head out at Shippo and at Google, quite honestly. It was it was the right time for me to to leave and make a run at it on my own. So let's talk about the shipping space a little bit. And I had a I had a chance. Oh my god, let's let's, let's do it. <laughs> Kaylee, my wife my wife gives me such a hard time about like oh my god, Ben, you could like talk like when I go to the beach, I read about shipping. Like I, I just love it. How <laughs> do you think those chairs got over? Got here? You know, I just, just. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I, to be honest, I before talking with you about Tusk, I had so little knowledge about the shipping business, and I had a chance to listen to your interview on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, which I never thought I would spend time listening to a logistics podcast, but pretty solid and a great interview. Joe Lynch. Yep. Joe Lynch. Yep. Joe Shout Lynch. out. So the company's focus, I think, is really smart. And I'd love to hear your perspective on Tusk's focus specifically on small parcel delivery providers. And what were some of those early insights or signals that led you down that path, either at Shippo or at Google or even running your own thing? So small parcel logistics, uh, shipping and logistics in general is a huge space, right? It's everything from ocean or air freight, it's customs brokerage, it's drayage, it's intermodal, like when a container goes on a train, it's warehousing, it's it's everything. So the slice of shipping and logistics that I have spent my career and that Tusk lives firmly within is small parcel shipping. And small parcel shipping is the last leg of an item's journey to the customer's door. Think of it like the space that FedEx, UPS, and the Postal Service dominate today. Mm-hmm. In general, in the US, it's $150 billion a year business. It's a massive business of which FedEx, UPS, and the Postal Service have a de facto monopoly over. So they have a 97% market share in this space. And at the end of the day, any small group of actors that has that much control over that big of a market is going to naturally prioritize their own needs, right? And so you you see this in the market in a couple of significant ways. Number one, prices are rising and they're unpredictable. Number two, it's really hard for a shipper to integrate a new carrier. It's hard to like find the carrier. It's hard to integrate them. It's hard to make sure that the integration syncs with all their systems. And then at the end of the day, the the shippers just don't feel respected. They don't feel like they have a true partner in their parcel carrier because they're dealing with these, you know, massive hundreds of billions of dollars a year company. And even like their rep within that company isn't really empowered to do right by them to like proactively monitor their parcels in real time to like collaborate on contracts. It's very much a take it or leave it game these days. And so this whole industry feels disrespected by the legacy players. And so Tusk enters this ecosystem with the North Star putting shippers first. Like that's why we exist, that's our North Star. And for us, what that means is that we lower costs, we give very reliable service, and we proactively support our shippers. And the way that we do that is we actually watch every parcel in our network in real time. We take fast action, we proactively notify our shipper when we think something could go wrong, like a weather event things like that. Hmm. Everything we do is for the value, putting value in the hands of our shippers. And it's nice to be in business when 
your North Star is doing right by your customer. Like that's just really fun. I noticed, I know the first thing I hit on Tusk's site is your values and just the commitment and dedication to that. And speaking about this a little bit more on the small parcel delivery side, we talk a lot on this podcast about channel and distribution and just, you know, establishing early network effects. Was curious about sort of your zero to one journey around how you guys went about gaining the network coverage in in the Mm. early days for Tusk and like how you guys have thought about customer acquisition. And honestly, any other insights too that you have around things that you're finding are working or not working, be interesting to reflect on. Yeah, there's been a lot that hasn't gone right. (laughs) (laughs) So I come from a space, right? Like I did this work when I was at Google. I did this work at Chippo. To be quite honest, I built my network by calling in favors. And I called people that I knew and I asked them to, I explained my business. I explained what we were doing. I explained why Tusk had their best interest in mind, which for a carrier, the biggest thing is we don't charge them a revenue share. Hmm. Like we just asked for a wholesale rate that we're permitted to mark up slightly. And I just leveraged my relationships to get the first couple of partners. And I mean, you're a seller, you get this, but as soon as I had a couple of rate cards, a couple of meaningful areas in our library, and we started with the Midwest and the Northeast. So we covered like greater New York, mid-Atlantic, and all of the population centers of the Midwest. That was enough to start selling. So I could, I could meaningfully sell that. So I could call on shippers. I could make a very concerted sale to them saying, hey, here are the major metros that we cover. Here's the percentage of the US population that we cover. Here's the savings we could drive. Do you want to take a leap? And like anything else, dude, it was just like, I just had to sell. And for me, selling means it is an enterprise sale. So the average cycle right now is trending towards, call it five, six months for the actual activation. So like first conversation to activation, we would love for that to be closer to two to three months. Um, And there are definitely ways that we can push to cut cycles out of the pitch or rather the integration. But for us, and for me personally, when I started the business, it was just about pitching my network, asking that network for referrals and getting warm handoffs, warm introductions. Uh, And what I ended up doing is kind of like dialing into like where the need was the most urgent, who was feeling the most pain, who was so pissed at FedEx or so pissed at UPS that they were willing to entertain this guy, you know, coming in, selling this startup that was so new, they had never heard of it. It was still in beta. How do you diagnose that? I know you, we talked about whether there are certain mm-hmm. sort of macro conditions or things that give you that signal that, you know, oh shit, there's, there might be an area of focus or opportunity here to, to capitalize on. Honestly, dude, like the biggest signal is the types of items. I really tell my team, hey, take pictures of labels in your life. Just like take photos of the labels because what we, act, we often find is that, oh, here's an example. I bought stickers for a like branded stickers for a conference. Those stickers came from a, oh, here's it, here there. I'll send you some. For the oh kids. yeah, those are nice little tusks. Yeah, I like, like die cuts, like cut stickers. Yeah. They're hot. And you know, I paid like 1200 bucks. I got 10,000 stickers. Yeah. And they arrived at my house and I looked at the box and it was a FedEx label and the box was like 15 pounds, but it was shipped from the Chicago suburbs to my house in Chicago proper. And I guarantee you that that merchant, that sticker company, they 
paid probably like $16 to send that to me wow. via FedEx ground. Yeah. And, and for us, that would be loaded, including fuel and resi. It'd be roughly like seven fifty eight dollars Yeah. And so that is now an MQL <laughs> that lives in HubSpot. Yeah. That, that sticker company is an MQL. Yep. And I've, I've looked up the CEO and I'm, I'm going to make that pitch, right? Yep. But it's, it's so often the opening for us is just savings, just pure savings. And then we close the deal with trustworthiness, reliability. All right. Subtle transition here. Prior to starting Tusk, I know you mentioned this, you started your career in sales and, and BD and partnerships at Google. However, what a lot of folks of the podcast, what most folks won't know is that you actually were running a side business in the dry ice game at the time. And right. so the hustle is, never stops, Justin. That's the for the for the kids at home, that's not that's not like a methamphetamines <laughs> company. We're talking about actually like moving dry ice. Can you Talk about the story behind Ben's dry ice and one or maybe one or two things that you took away from that experience that have made you a stronger founder today. Yeah. Um, Ben's dry ice was a dry ice delivery business, uh, is a dry ice delivery business in the San Francisco Bay area. It was started by accident by me because I was on the Google offers team at the time and I needed to create a public maps listing to do some testing. And I needed to create an actual business. And so I picked dry ice from a dropdown because I thought that that was suitably obscure, that no one would call me. And lo and behold, I started getting all these calls from this Google Maps listing for dry ice. It was insane. It was insane. One thing led to another. I started buying dry ice at retail. Then I got a wholesaler. Then I got a warehouse. Then I had drivers and I had a little business. And I sold the business to a guy named Kevin. So Kevin still runs Ben's Dry Ice to this day. And um, it, he, Kevin just told me that they're going to do over a million dollars. Wow. This year, dude, that's awesome. crazy. Awesome. <laughs> but I would say, dude, the biggest, the biggest lesson of Ben's Dry Ice was the fact that no matter what happens, there's always a, a path forward. I would, I was like, I mean, Ben's Dry Ice was not a fine-tuned operation by any stretch. And I had drivers who I was paying, I was reimbursing their mileage to use their personal vehicles to like deliver the dry ice. And I was hiring them off of Craigslist. It was just like a constant headache to keep good drivers. And there was just so many times when like a driver just like wouldn't show up. Right. Yeah. And so, well, what do you do? You, you know, you find a path forward. You got to call a customer, say, Hey, can you take this tomorrow? You got to call the customer, say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to do it myself. You got to put a meeting on your calendar when you're working at Google and get a zip car and drive it yourself. <laughs> you know, like you do what needs to be done. And, and, and that was a really good lesson for me that there's always a path forward. You just got to like put your head down and push. And every twist and turn of that business was a constant reminder that like, you'll find a way. Mm -hmm. You got to have, keep faith and continue to like do right by your partners, your employees, your customers. and it'll it'll work out and if certain things don't work out then they probably shouldn't have been in the mix anyway yeah, so. yeah. you guys recently publicly announced the fundraise so raising one we did yeah million. we're excited yeah yeah huge congrats on that so that was led by uh, forum ventures and also participation from title town tech which is the strategic fund from the pack and uh in microsoft <laughs> so yeah. i guess it, that's that's awesome by the way because not only I mean, you, you're a Wisconsinite, you get it. Having Wisconsin represented on our cap table is so awesome, but 
having a Microsoft connection or an Azure shop. So that has been pretty incredible too. Yeah. Yeah. So what is next for Tusk and what are, I guess, what investments are you guys making either in talent product, I guess, where do you guys, where are you guys planning to take Tusk next? We are using the funds to do a, to do a couple of very significant things, both of which are in service of our, of putting value in the hands of shippers. So the first thing we're doing is we're strategically hiring. So we have an open role for head of sales, open role for head of marketing. We're adding muscle to our operations team so we can be even more proactive in our network monitoring. We just feel strongly that we have to invest in the team in order to invest in the shippers. The other thing is we we are doing some really amazing stuff with parcel data. So building a lot of machine learning on things like hub time. So in a parcel network, you know, you would, what we do is we inject parcels into our regional carrier partners. We can then track where those parcels go and when, and we can build essentially a mapping of their network so that we know, okay, if a parcel sits in the Ontario hub for GLS for more than 12 hours, something is wrong. It missed the next line haul or it got lost. And we're building a lot of that logic automatically so that we can flag certain parcels today for manual review and eventually we'll automate the reviews as well. But that is all, I mean, you know this, you've been exposed to this type of engineering work. It's like very, very deep. You have to do it thoughtfully because your whole infrastructure has to be scaled. And so we're, we're putting a ton of at-bats against that type of foundational engineering work right now. All right. Most important question. So again, we talked about monopolies. <laughs> we talk about FedEx. So every couple of months in SF, we'd get together, have a few beers, battle it out on the Monopoly board. And... I don't think I've ever seen Ben Emmerich lose a game of Monopoly. You're always at least in the top two if we're doing you yeah. know, Battle Royale style. And I don't know if you're going to disclose this on the pod, but I want a breakdown of Ben Emmerich's Monopoly strategy. And what just constantly, think? constantly bullshit. Just constantly bullshit. That's my Monopoly strategy. Just a constant bullshitter in a jar. Honestly, like the key, the key to Monopoly, and I'm happy to share this. The key is the orange and red corner. If you can build a monopoly on Indiana, Illinois, or like New York Avenue, those are the orange ones. That corner, that's a death trap. Yeah. Because it's a great value, still relatively cheap, but it's really painful, especially if you build them up. So if I if I had like my a magic wand to pick up one set of properties, it'd be probably the reds. I would go for the reds really hard. Yeah. The other thing too is, and we we did a really good job of this back in the day. Insert liquidity into a monopoly game wherever you can because it makes it so much more fun. Yeah. Remember, we used to do a lot of like, free passes. Like, oh, you'd, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you'd do a deal with somebody to like throw in a couple free passes? Yep. And it's do I also do another pro tip is do everything you can to be the first, the first one to roll, the first one to go. Just it's the Oklahoma land grab, you know. Like if you're first, you get to pick, so you should go. <laughs> Not that you control what comes up on the die, of course, but. <laughs> And I feel like you are the king of the side deal. I just remember. Oh, yeah. We're, oh, yeah. You know, I love the side deal. There's a lot of focus going on on 
people moving around the board. And I just remember there's a lot of table talk, a lot of side talk on the side of the table. And you are the king of that. <laughs> it's also like a good way to take people off their game a little bit. Yes. If they're trying to really, if they're trying to concentrate, it's a good way. If they catch wind of you doing a side deal, you can really jostle their focus. It's a good way to just kind of screw with people. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, uh, in, in rounding this out, wanted to give you some space too, to see if there's anything else that you wanted to plug. Thank you so much, man. There's a number of things I would like to plug, but we're hiring head of sales right now, especially your audience. I feel like there's lots of good folks who would be interested in that. So reach out to me if you're interested. I'll send you the job rec. My email is just ben at tusklogistics.com. The other thing I would say is like, if you're, if you know of, or if you are a shipper, if you're putting widgets into boxes and putting FedEx or UPS labels on those boxes, or if you know somebody who does that for their own business or for their profession, give Tusk a look. We are no bullshit, just tons of value for shippers. We're lowering per parcel cost by 40%. So give us a look. We're happy to run an impact analysis for anybody that's listening, and we'll see how much we can save them. Well, I appreciate you, brother. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Justin. Thank you for having me, man. All right, dude. We'll talk soon. Cheers. All right, that is a wrap. Again, shout out to Ben Emmerich, my dear friend, and the most ruthless Monopoly player in the game. Excited for what they're building at Tusk and where they take the business next. We have got an exciting episode coming up next Friday. The CEO of one of the largest startup communities and up and coming accelerators is jumping on the show to talk about some of the changes that they're making to their program. You're going to want to tune into that one. It's a really great episode and interview. We are also spending some time. I'm going to be at the Sloan MIT Sports Analytics Conference. I might do a dedicated session just on that one to break down some of the learnings from that event. It's a really cool event in Boston uh, featuring some pretty incredible athletes and speakers. So might do a recap on that event uh, on the backside of it. In the meantime, appreciate y'all tuning in. You know the drill. Keep hustling. Keep grinding, keep getting that grind. Assassin's state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs, assassin's state of mind, assassin's state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line, assassin's state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs, assassin's state of mind, assassin's state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line, assassin's state of mind. They say money over everything, everything, nation the game. Shopping for a wedding ring, salary, startups, crypto, stock exchange. Appreciate every penny, pocket change. One phone call and your life can change. What's your love language? Can't do business if it ain't reciprocated.